people in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. He built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. And then if you want to skip down to verse 25, it says, And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and they named him Enos. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. We were created as social beings. If you recall back in the opening chapter, or the second chapter of Genesis, God said it is not good for man to be alone. We need one another. And I think as we looked at that, we looked at, yes, the beginning of marriage there, but also the beginning of community, of society. Adam and Eve were charged with that responsibility of replenishing, of filling, or of filling the earth there, of building communities today. We are all part of a larger community. I realize there are some that uh, would just love to take some time and go to a desert island and be by themselves. The problem with that is, after a while, you begin to realize you were created as a social being. You were created in in the need of other people there. Uh, We were talking this week with some individuals about people that are people-oriented and people that aren't. Uh, Some people need more people in their lives than than others. I I always tell Ginger, I I just love it when I have a day when there's no interruptions. It doesn't come very often, but uh, that's a great day. Uh, But, you know... We need one another there. We're part of a larger community. And one of the problems with thinking about going to a desert island is we cannot live out the implications of the gospel. We cannot live out the implications of what it means to love alone. If you notice in the New Testament, you have that little phrase repeated over and over, one another love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. We were designed to, in a sense, build a community. As we continue our account here, we noticed in chapter 3, the fall of man. And then in the opening part of chapter 4, we saw the, the problem that Cain had in killing his brother Abel and so forth. But the story continues. They begin to build a community. And as we look at this, how is man doing in that response, responsibility that God gave to them? So let's look at first here at man's responsibility in verses 9 and 10. I realize that was last week's lesson, but we didn't quite finish last week's lesson. So we're going to go back to that for, for just a minute. Cain raises the question to the Lord. The Lord comes to him in verse 9 and says, where's your brother Abel? And he says to him, am I my brother's keeper? The obvious answer to that is, yes, you are. It could be translated, shall I, King, what I actually said is, shall I shepherd the shepherd? Because Abel was the shepherd. And Cain is saying, is that really my responsibility? And God's answer is, yes, you have a responsibility to be your brother's keeper. Interesting that When the Lord confronts Cain here, it's not at the altar. It's not in a place of worship. 
It's out in the field. It's out in the workplace. And as you think about that, we have a responsibility when we are out in society to be our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility not just to worship the Lord here, but as we go out into the community to demonstrate the character of Christ to others. In fifteen, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? By your love, one for another. We have that responsibility to demonstrate the love of Christ in the society in which he has placed us. Uh, John zeroes in on that in 1 John chapter 5, or 3, there it is, chapter 3. In, in verse 11 and 12, he raises the question, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. But this is the message that he had for us. We are to love one another. Now, he gets practical with that. When you come down to verse 15, he says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice the connection there between hating and loving. Didn't Jesus say something about that in the Sermon on the Mount? And then as you think about that, how many times did you wish you could wring somebody's neck? Uh, I think he's got a message here for you, if, if that's the case there. He says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so he is suggesting here that as we seek to be our brother's keeper, as we seek to meet those needs that are out there in the community, We are revealing Jesus Christ to those that need to see Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, I realize it's easy to get overwhelmed by the needs that we confront. There are all kinds of needs out there. And we, we need to recognize that sometimes it demands wisdom. Which needs do we meet? What are the real needs? Do they need a handout? Do they need to be taught how to use the resources that God has given to them? Uh, That's all part of our responsibility in building a community. We have to determine what is the real need. As someone has wisely said, you can give a man a, a fish and feed him for a day, or you can teach him to fish and feed him for a lifetime. uh, what, What would God have us to do? How can we best use the resources, the talents, the gifts that he's given to us to help others come to Jesus Christ. Now, as you wrestle with that question, your answer to that will probably be different than the answer that God brings to my heart because we're different individuals. We have different gifts. We have different responsibilities. For some of you, the answer to that question is, how can you be a witness in this community? It's to be involved in the food bank, meeting physical needs, sharing Christ through that, meeting the the desperate needs that are there. For others, it's, being a Gideon. The, the community needs the gospel message. Where are they going to get the message? It's going to be through the word of God. It's the entrance of his word that brings light. So that, that is a, a means of meeting the needs around about us. For others, it may be sharing a word of testimony. Others, it may be getting involved in a ministry with children. Uh, we have found over the years here, as we have Vacation Bible School, that there are many children that come 
our way that don't know Jesus Christ. They need to be introduced to him. And I, I realize uh, VBS can be a, a lot of work. I thought I'd hear some amens to that one. <laughs> but if kids are introduced to the Savior, it's worth it. Now, what I, I think it's important for us on a regular basis to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do in the community that you placed me in? In, in the church, in the society, in our community? How, who can we help? Who can, who can I share with this week? Sadly, Cain failed in his responsibility. He went so far as not just wishing he could wring his brother's neck. He killed him. But uh, we need to be, recognize that uh, if we do nothing, if we see the needs in our community, if we see the needs in our society and we do nothing, then James chapter 4 has something to say about that. It says in verse 17, Therefore that him that knoweth that to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so we join the ranks of Cain if we do not get involved in what God is leading us to, to get involved in. I was thinking of that this week. I got a call from the organization We Believe We Vote. And uh, he was mentioning there are several needs in Stevens County for people to run for elected office. And I got to thinking about that. I wonder what difference it would make if some of God's people would run for some of those offices. You know, it's easy for us to criticize politicians. You ever fall into that trap? You ever criticize what the government is doing and so forth? I wonder if God says, I want you to get involved. Are we willing to say, Lord, I'll get involved? I'll, I'll do what it is that, that you're asking me to do. I think that's all part of our responsibility, is somehow asking God, how would you have me invest my life in reaching my community, in reaching those in our neighborhood, in, in reaching others with the, the gospel message? That was his, that's our responsibility. If, if we raise the question, am I my brother's keeper to the Lord today? He would say, yes, you are. Get busy. Get out there and, and, and meet those needs. Well, that leads to man's uh, accomplishments. And I'm not going to spend much time on this. So, Ginger, you can flip through these with me quite fast there. Uh, in just a few generations here, man, first of all, we, as we read in the opening verses, uh, Cain built a city, uh, uh, a place, not just a group of buildings, but a place where there was a society. Every city, every community, wherever there's two or more people, they need a society. They need an organization. They, they need an order. They need direction for how to rule their lives. I loved when I do premarital counseling. I, I like to come to the point where I, as I'm visiting with a couple, I, I like to ask them now, when you have a problem and you have to make a decision, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to make the decision? And uh, invariably, this couple is so in love that they'll look at me, what What are you talking about? We're going to do things together. We're going to talk this through, and, and we'll come to a, a conclusion. And uh, then I like to put them on the spot for just a minute. And I say, now, you've got to make a decision right now. This is an important area. 
The husband says one thing, the wife says the other. Who's going to make the decision? And they have to stop and think. Maybe, maybe we need to think this issue through. Who, who's, in, who's going to be in charge and, and, and so forth there. That's all part of being a society. Another accomplishment was they went to farming in verse 20 or ranching there. Uh, why is that significant? It's significant because we were programmed to work. We were programmed to be productive. That was part of the call back in chapter 1, verse 8, when, when God commissioned Adam and, and Eve there to uh, keep the garden and dress it. In, in first, or Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, If any man is not willing to work, neither should he eat. We have a political candidate that's thinking of, or is running for president in the 2020 election that came out with this statement, that he supports the right not to work if you don't want to work. Well, that's okay, as long as they don't want to eat as well. Uh, Because if they're not going to work, guess who's going to pay for their needs? It'll be you and I. It'll be those that are are working there. Uh, He's missing... He's missing the biblical principles there in the agenda that he has. Now, I realize that's probably a good way to get some votes, but it's not scriptural. God's created us to to work there. Uh, Another area that we find very quickly here was the area of music. There was an interest in the arts. And and so we have those who were gifted in creating the musical instruments and the music itself. Did you ever notice how... That makes us different from animals. And I realize some of you like your animals and, and you objected to the fact that I said a, a cat or a dog's not going to replace a person in your life. Uh, that We were made as social beings for one another there. But, um, you know, we have a cat that could care less about music. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen that stupid cat listen to the music, doesn't even watch TV, uh, not interested in the arts. I think the only thing he's interested in is that we keep his food dish filled. Uh, as long as that's filled, he's happy, but not interested in the arts, but you and I are. God has gifted us with the arts, I believe, to brighten our lives, to make our lives more meaningful. And, and they, they recognized that as, as a society, there were those that invested in the arts, invested in music, and so forth. And then there's metalwork in verse 22. Again, I, I think uh, there was a reason he put that in here. Uh, God is the creator. God is the one who made us in his image. And so if he's a creator, he expects us to be creative as well. And so he's given us the ability to advance the cause of our society in in creative ways. This is not your typical caveman picture that is coming out of Genesis chapter 4. This is an advanced civilization from the very beginning here, perhaps a civilization that had greater talents and abilities than even we do today because they weren't tainted so much by the fall. And they were able to do tremendous accomplishments in a very short time. Unfortunately, today, having come, our society come through the age of enlightenment, the scientific advances, we're turning away from God, and guess what? We're moving back to the dark ages. And, and we, we need to, to recognize that God has created us for a purpose, and if we don't fulfill that purpose, it'll get worse. 
Well, that leads to man's depravity here. Sadly, all of us have to wrestle with the implications of of Romans chapter 5. Cain did, uh, his descendants did. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it said, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because why? All have sinned. And we see that played out in the history here, uh, in the genealogies here. You come down to, to the end of, of it here, uh, verse 23, you have a man by the name of Lamech, seven generations from Adam here, uh, had two wives, Ada and Zillah, and he listened. He said, listen to my voice. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold, or seven can also be translated seven times, 70 times here. Uh, in just a short time here, sin entered the picture, and depravity came with it. They demonstrated that they were sinners in need of God. Lamech became, was the first that we know of to practice bigamy, violating God's rule, God's plan that he gave to Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Along with that, he was a very brutal man, an arrogant man. It's interesting, the Lord protected Cain in verse 15, put a mark on him uh, to protect him here. Lamech, recognizing that, thinks he's under the protection of the Lord as well. He said, if Cain's avenged sevenfold, then I'm going to be avenged 70 times seven here. God didn't promise him that. That was his uh, imagination at this point. Uh, we, we need to remember that God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He was bringing himself under the judgment of God in committing murder of this young boy there. Uh, later we'll find there was a time for capital punishment as, as we come to the end of the story of, of the flood there, but he had to answer to God for the sin in his life. Even though he claimed that, that he was going to be avenged seven times 70, it didn't happen. Now, it's interesting as you think about that. This is the first mention of that phrase, 70 times seven. God doesn't promise that he's going to sanction our behavior that way. It's a downward spiral of man here and his thinking and his actions. But interestingly, Jesus reverses that thought for us when he says how oft uh, uh, Peter and John and some of the disciples came to him and said, how oft shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? Now, they were being very magnanimous there. Seven times. The Pharisees thought you could forgive them three times, and if they did something the fourth time, you had the right to hit them back. Uh, do, do whatever they were doing to you. You, you. If you forgave them three times, you, you fulfilled your responsibility. You notice what Jesus said? You've got to do it 70 times 7. 490 times. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never tried to keep track of how many times I've, I've forgiven somebody. Uh, uh, I'm not waiting for 490 times, and then I can, I can get even with them. The, the idea, I think, behind that is if you do that that many times, it's going to become a habit. You're going to just work through that process and forgive. And that doesn't eliminate the responsibility of the one who has sinned against you. That doesn't mean that they are not answerable to God for that. They have to answer for their sin before God. 
But you don't have to live under the consequences of that. You don't have to live under the burden of that. You can be free from that if you are willing to say, Lord, I forgive. And then when that same thought comes back to you again, you say, Lord, I turn it back over to you. I forgive again. Instead of sitting there fuming and fussing and going to wring their neck or whatever it is, I forgive. And, and as you do that, you begin to experience a measure of God's forgiveness in a new way. Well, the end of the story comes in verses 25 through 26, where we have man's hope here. In the midst of the darkness of all that was going on there with Cain killing his brother, then Lema coming on the scene, committing bigamy and and murder and, and being a brutal individual and so forth. In the midst of all of that darkness, there is a glimmer of hope. Notice what it says in verse 25. Adam had relations with his wife. She gave birth to his son and she named him Seth. The word Seth, the name that she gives him here, I believe conveys the hope that Eve had. It it literally means the appointed one. And so here, having lost Abel, knowing that Cain was not the promised one, here when a third child is born, she thinks God has answered our prayer. God has sent the appointed one. God has sent the the one who was going to give his life for us. Now, he wasn't the answer. Seth was not the answer, but he was the individual through whom the Messiah would come. She was, her hope was not misplaced here. It was just the wrong time. Sooner than or later, the Messiah would come. God had promised that. And, and it was going to be through the appointed one, through Seth. And, of course, that leads us down to Jesus Christ. But notice in the midst of that, as she is claiming the promise of God there in verse 12, verse 5, and then Seth is born and raised, it says, and then men began to call upon the name of the Lord there. Now, there were those that had called upon the Lord all the way up through that time. But it was... Uh, it was an indication that others were beginning to to wake up and realize their spiritual responsibility. In Isaiah 55, in verse 6, it says, Seek ye the Lord, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the ungodly turn turn back to, to the Lord there. And so in, in that very turning here, in, in that very naming of Seth, there was a glimmer of hope uh, that God someday would step in and right the wrongs that that were there. Abel was a victim, and yet his blood cried out to the Lord, and the Lord knew what had happened. I I think of that. Uh, Many of you have been victims in one way or another. You've been used, you've been abused, and so forth. And you you think, well, life isn't fair. I I should be at least able to get even with them for what they've done to me. I I like Revelation chapter 6 in in verses 9 through 11. You have the souls of those who were martyred for their faith under the altar there. And as they're there, they raise the question, Lord, how long? How long are we going to have to wait? And the Lord says, take your rest. Just a little while longer. Because God is the one who brings the judgment. Vengeance is his. And he is saying to them, I am going to bless you. For your service. The the blood of Abel speaks today, but notice in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. 
Today, it is the blood of Christ that makes the difference for us. It is the blood of Christ that makes it possible for us, first of all, to have eternal life. We were redeemed, Peter says, by the blood of the Lamb. Not by gold, not by silver, but by the blood of the Lamb. We're brought into a right relationship with God. And then it is through the blood of Christ that we have hope that a better day is coming. That someday he's going to right the wrong. Someday he's going to step into the things that uh, have troubled us. Today he would say, take your rest. Leave it in my hands. Let me take care of it. The day is coming when I will bring that judgment into the world. That new day is coming. But we're not there yet. We are still living in society. We're still living in the community in which God has placed us. And so I think as we look at what has, is being said in chapter 4 here, we have to ask ourselves the very basic question that Cain asked. Am I my brother's keeper? Not so much am I my brother's keeper, but the question I think we should ask is, how can I be my brother's keeper? What would God have you to get involved in? There are all kinds of ways in which in our community where we can be involved, where we can touch lives, where we can demonstrate the reality of the gospel, where we can show forth the the love of Jesus Christ. We can't do that huddled in our own little place, uh, isolating ourselves from the world. We have to be out there sharing the love of Christ. (coughs) I don't know about you, but there are days when I'd just love to go to that desert island, but we can't do it. There's a world that needs to be reached for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we willing? Are we willing to look at Chihuahua and say, how can I be a blessing to this community? How can I be my brother's keeper in the community in which you have placed me? And as you pray that prayer, it's amazing the many different ways in which God will work through individual lives, uh, to allow you to touch somebody else. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you created us with a need for one another. Thank you that you've created us to be part of a larger community. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity not just to experience your love for us, but the opportunity to take that love and to share it with somebody else. And the the joy of seeing you love somebody else through us. So, Father, I'm going to ask you to give each of us the courage this week to honestly ask, how can I be my brother's keeper this week? And then open a door for us, Father, somehow to share in someone's life the love of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to sing together the family of God, and that's what we are. And so uh, if you don't mean it, don't sing it. But if, if you're really a part of the family, let's let it may be clear.